If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. With Indeed, everything hiring is all in one place and it makes it so easy. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences each day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. The more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join the more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash podcast. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. The same thing happens every year where I'm like, it's February. I'm like, where is everybody? Now it's picking up again like crazy in the spring, but it's definitely that ebb and flow where it's not going to be as consistent when you're doing your own thing or owning your own business as if you're working for a company and you're getting your steady weekly paycheck. But you make it work and you find out the really busy times or what works for you. And I think it's all just like a lot of risk taking, but also knowing what works. Before she created Gray's New York, Sherry Ivler worked in fashion for many years. Hugo Boss, Juicy Couture, Bloomingdale's. But while she knew she belonged in a creative space, she went to art school at Syracuse University. Sherry also had this aching feeling that she was destined for something else. Welcome back to Bucket List Careers. I'm Crystal Laurie. Thanks for carving out 20 minutes of your day to be with me. Sherry always loved cooking and entertaining, throwing parties, and hosting family and friends. And whenever people would come over, she would put out these elaborate spreads that later became known as the Grays Board. People always said to her, you should turn this into a business. So she did. She took her background in visual displays and transferred it, but she had no idea how to start and run a business. Cut to five years later, Sherry's running a thriving food board business, including but not limited to cheese and charcuterie, serving clients all over Metro New York with big plans for the future. In this episode, we get specific advice drawing from an entrepreneurial journey started in Sherry's kitchen, and we get into how she manages running her home-based business while raising two daughters. All right, let's listen. Sherry, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the podcast with me. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I found you because of your beautiful graze boards on Instagram, which is so funny. People often ask me how I get guests. And a lot of the times it's I'll stumble across somebody who I think is really talented. And I almost ordered one of your boards for a holiday gathering. But I think you were either too busy with orders or you had to go out of town. I have to say what you're doing there is absolutely stunning. And I'm sure it tastes good, too. (laughs) Oh, thank you. I'm so glad you found me. So it's five and a half years in Gray's New York. And as we discussed in the introduction, it's a boutique catering company in Bedford, New York. And you specialize in food Gray's boards, small bites, gift bags and baskets. But and this is what the podcast centers on. You didn't start there. You have a couple pivots, although I will say that it seems to me you were always a creative. Mm -hmm. I know you went to art school in Syracuse. So why don't we just take it from there and you can walk us through? Sure. Yep. So I went to Syracuse. I was in the art school 
ended up graduating. I, before I got a job in the city, I worked at anthropology doing all the things, the displays and the cash register. And then I got my first corporate job in Manhattan. I worked at Hugo Boss and I was an account executive. So I loved the environment, the fast paced fashion world, but I was sitting behind a desk from nine to six every day doing Excel and spreadsheets. And it wasn't really sparking joy in me. I was there for probably five or six years. I love the people and everything, but I just didn't love passion about what I was doing. I ended up getting recruited for Juicy Couture for their merchandising department. It was definitely more up my alley of doing, you know, displays and mannequins, definitely more visual, which was great. And then 2008, the market crashed and they got rid of their visual department. So had to pivot again. I ended up working with an interior designer in New York City, which was also a huge passion of mine. It was great. I loved it. And then I got pregnant with my daughter and we decided to move out of the city. We moved here to Westchester. And then I was doing some freelancing, going back into the city. I was doing some displays at Bloomingdale, same kind of like mannequins. And, you know, it was it was fun until it wasn't. And I kind of just felt like it wasn't something I was waking up every day being like, I'm so excited to go into the store and dress the mannequin. Having your first child changes things for a lot of people. The move to the suburbs also gave you, I guess, more of a commute. You did say to me you were kind of hitting a wall. So did you have an aha moment? Did you have a pivotal moment where you said, okay, I need to make a big change? Yeah. So I always, I just am always passionate about, I love making things beautiful and having people over and making them feel at home and cozy and whether it's entertaining or just having them come over for a coffee or a glass of wine. And whenever I would have over my friends or my family, I'd put together these spreads that later became the Grays Board. And people always said to me, you know, you should turn this into a business. And this was I don't know, six, seven years ago where nobody was doing food boards at that time. And I said, you know, it's just something I like doing. It didn't really like click in my head. Oh, wow, this can be something. And then at that, you know, same time when I was kind of just really bored in my job situation, I was a little bit sick of the commute from Westchester to the city. I said, you know what, I'm just, I'm, I'm done with what I'm doing. I gave in my notice of leaving and I said, I'm going to, I'm going to try this food board thing. And my husband thought I was crazy. He said like, <laughs> who is buying meat and cheese on a board? But you know, I said, if it works great. And if it doesn't work, you know, then I try, what do I have to lose? And I'll find something else. So I literally opened my laptop that night. I bought a domain, Grays New York, on Wix.com. I put together a website that, you know, probably wasn't the best, but put it together. I started an Instagram and I literally went through to find all of the food bloggers in Westchester and anybody that could get my name out there. Went through, friends at all of them, messaged all of them and said, hey, I'm starting this business you'd want to try a board for free to try it and promote me. And it kind of just, it took off from there. So that really was your step one. And that's interesting to me. You were on the forefront of this, but you were reaching out to food bloggers, not necessarily influencers. Yeah. So, you know, it it was just me. It's still just me. And I kind of just went through and like, who would be interested in this? Whose audience can they promote it to that they would be interested and then get back to me, my website, my Instagram. So I went through food influencers locally, even like reaching out to people in the city. Mm-hmm. And then I remember the first person was somebody called Westchester Kardashian. <laughs> he said to me, I actually am going, I think it was, it was right around the holidays. I think she was going to maybe a Thanksgiving or a Christmas party. I can't remember. 
should I go to this party with a bunch of like local people? I'll bring, you know, if you want to give me a gratis board, I'll bring it and I'll promote it. So I remember like, I was so excited. I made the whole board for her. She took it to her party, posted about it. And then, you know, slowly the followers just started coming in. And then I kind of did the same with other local people and the same thing kept happening. And I was like, wow, this really, this can be something. Was the investment upfront something that you would want people to know about? You know, we're trying to get your story and be inspired, of course, by your narrative, but also get some advice for people that might be interested in monetizing a side hustle like this, which you obviously did. Right. Definitely. I mean, I think the first year of any business that you're starting on your own, you have to assume you're not going to be making so much money because you're really putting back into the business what you make. So I definitely did a ton of free boards or just, you know, wavering, like, I'll do a board for you. If you can post about it, I'll do it for a discount. So yeah, I think definitely at least the first year was putting the money into the business for that. I mean, I never really done advertising, advertising. I prefer to use the money to give the board to somebody and let them post about it and let it speak for themselves. And was Instagram your most successful platform? Instagram by far. Okay. Yeah. And then it was just, it was exciting because people started to just reach out to me and I'd be like, how did you hear about me? And they'd say like, I was at this party and I tried your board and it was great. So I think word of mouth, I mean, Instagram was great for getting myself out there, but I truly think word of mouth is the best way because once people try it and see it for themselves, then... Totally. The proof is right there. And you've been doing this for more than five years. You're also hosting workshops. So tell me about that. You're going to people's homes. You're teaching people how to make these graze boards on their own. Do you find that also very rewarding? Because that's more of a connection to the community. Yeah. So I did my first workshop pre-COVID at a restaurant. It was really fun. And of course, you know, the world shut down and Mm -hmm. we didn't see anybody for a while. And then once people were starting to get back into wanting to be social, I was doing workshops actually monthly at a store in Pound Ridge where people would, you know, buy a ticket, they would come, everybody would get their own little bag with everything they need to make the board. I would do a demonstration and they would do the board along with me. And then we wrap it up and they take it home to enjoy. And then they also get the tips and tricks on how to make their own board. Then it's also very nice to have that social interaction with them and, you know, answer any questions and let them kind of like put a face in what I do to my work. Totally. Well, let's talk. You mentioned COVID. Let's talk about the pandemic, because I did read that charcuterie board businesses boomed during that time frame. So how are you affected? I mean, you were obviously out there earlier in the game, which was an advantage for you with food board catering. But talk to me about how you pivoted there. Yeah. So when COVID happened, I didn't do anything probably for a good four or five months just because I wasn't even going to the markets myself. So I don't think anybody at that point was really even ordering anything. So there was a halt, which, you know, was a little nerve wracking to be like, what's next? But then once the summer came along, I was like, how am I gonna do this, but in a way where it's gonna work for what's going on. So I started to do individual graze, almost little like picnic boxes. So people would come and they can either, if they, you know, everybody was doing everything outside then. So they would pick up these little picnic boxes that were individual, take it to them outside or the park or whatever. I also started doing graze bags. I almost sold it as everybody's doing so much takeout right now. So this is kind of like a more elevated personal type of takeout. So it would be a bag with a bottle of wine and a loaf of bread and a fresh mozzarella and a pesto and, you know, something sweet for dessert. So people were picking up those. And then, you know, the world kind of just came back to being back to normal. And then, yeah, a lot of food board companies popped out during COVID, which, you know, is definitely funny and surprising because it was kind of like went from nobody doing it to so many people now. 
So how do you try to carve out singularity there? Right. I mean, thankfully, it hasn't really had that much of an effect. I think I definitely have my loyal customers in the area. I'm always trying to kind of think of something new to bring into it. Yeah, we were going to talk about that. I know you have some plans because, you know, once you hit your five-year mark, you probably start thinking about scaling up. But before we get to that, let's talk takeaways for listeners on achieving purpose career-wise. And I asked you for your thoughts before we recorded, and I love the quote that you gave me, the flower doesn't bloom the same day the seed was planted. So do you think that this is something that can prevent people from succeeding if they expect too much too soon? Absolutely. And I think in any any business venture that you're starting out, I think the biggest failure is just expecting everything to happen right away when it, it definitely takes time. I mean, I would say it took at least a year just for me to really start having like constant orders and people coming back as like repeat clients. And I'm sure followers too on Instagram that took a little time to build up. That doesn't happen overnight. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I just actually this morning, I just hit 5,000. I'm like, oh, wow, five years. Congrats. Thank you. I also think quality is the best business plan. And I think Mm -hmm. when you're passionate about what you do, that just speaks volumes. I think working hard for something you don't care about is stressful. Working hard for something you do care about is called passion. I always knew that I wanted to do something that really like lit a fire in me. And I, Mm -hmm. you know, I love making beautiful things, whether it's food or decor, anything like that. So I think having this outlet to be able to do that is really what ignites me. Do you have two daughters? How old are your kids? Uh, My daughters are eight and 11. And I love talking to moms who specifically talk about how they want their children to see how hard they're working to build something of their own. I'm sure that that is important to you as well. Yeah, no, definitely. And it's also a juggle being a full-time mom, not having help there, and then having this full-time business that I run. It's definitely a juggle where there's days that I'm lacking in one where my kids are sitting in front of a TV because I'm busy doing something. And then days where I have to say no to an order because I have a responsibility for my kids. But exactly like you said, I think it's really important for them to see that if you put your mind to it, you can you can do whatever you want. I love my little one who's eight is like, mommy, when I grow up, I want to, I want to be a baker and own a bakery. And I was like, great, go for it. You know, whatever you want to do. She's obviously inspired by you. What is your definition of success as an entrepreneur? I think my definition of success is being happy, what you do and waking up every day and being excited and not feeling this like sense of dread, like, oh, I have to go to the office or I have to do this appointment or whatever. I think success is just happiness and finding that good middle ground where you're like, you know what? I love what I do. And it doesn't feel necessarily like work because it's enjoyable. 100%. So obviously being successful is great too, but I think just being happy and not having that, you know, I remember Sunday nights when I would have to wake up and go to the office and sit, I was like, oh great, it's Sunday night again. I have like Monday ahead of me where I was dreading getting on that computer and doing all those spreadsheets and to like have that calmness in your life and happiness. And I hear a lot of people say that the paycheck is no longer something that they focus on when they're really loving what they do day to day. It's worth it even if you had to take a step back to move forward towards something with more meaning for you. Definitely. And I mean, I think running your own business is hard because there's times of the year that are crazy busy, like November through December. I don't, I basically don't sleep because of Thanksgiving and the holidays and <laughs> sure. parties and all of that. And then January, February, March for me are very slow where the same thing happens every year where I'm like, it's February. I'm like, where is everybody? Now it's picking up again like crazy in the spring, but 
it's definitely that ebb and flow where it's not going to be as consistent when you're doing your own thing or owning your own business as if you're working for a company and you're getting your steady weekly paycheck. But you make it work and you find out the really busy times or what works for you. And I think it's all just like a lot of risk-taking, but also knowing what works. Absolutely. Makes a lot of sense to me. So tell me what's next. What do you have in the coming days or even, you know, your plan for the next three to five years? So I really want to add some things to make it a little bit more of a one-stop shop because right now, which is mm-hmm. the boards, if somebody's doing a cocktail party or a bridal shower, or baby shower, they'll always say, oh, do you offer other food. And I don't think I'm at the place to be like a full catering, but I do love making like little tea sandwiches and little, you know, beautiful cookies. So that's something that I'm starting to do. I just did a big event this week in the city where I made these little mini sandwiches, which was really fun that, you know, now I posted about it on Instagram and I keep getting these emails this week, like, Oh, are you doing these now? Can I order them? So little things like that, little cookies dipped in chocolate with edible flowers and I think it would be really fun to kind of do something similar to the workshops I'm doing, but maybe more of almost like a little like supper club where maybe people come and taste the boards, have some wine. And it's kind of like a group of like-minded people that come together over food, which I think at the heart of everything I do, that's really what it stemmed from. And what I'm about is having people come together over good food and good conversation. Oh my God, I haven't had lunch. Tell me what is your, (laughs) everything sounds so delicious to me. And this is so me because I love to pick and I love to share with a nice glass of wine, but tell me what is your best board, your favorite or your most successful, the most popular? I mean, I definitely think the charcuterie board is the most popular for everyone. And I I think who for the most part, doesn't love a good piece of cheese and cracker and wine and, you know, all the little accoutrements that it comes with the olives and the fig jam and Mm. all of the things. So that's definitely, I think, the most popular. But also I do a meze board, which is great, especially like for vegetarians that want, you know, it comes with the cheese and the grape leaves and the hummus and tzatziki and dips, crudite board, which is like a whole selection of beautiful veggies with dips a dessert board, a breakfast board. So definitely runs the gamut for everyone. But I would say the charcuterie is the favorite, the fan favorite. Yeah, you have a lot of offerings, something for everyone. Awesome. So Sherry, tell us where to go online to learn more about Grays New York. Yeah, so my Instagram is Grays, G-R-A-Z-E underscore, and then New York spelled out. And then my website is Grays New York, all spelled out, dot com. All right, I am starving now and I have a a couple of events coming up. So I'm going to have to order from you in the future without question. Sherry Eivler, thank you so much for coming on the show and talking to us about your journey. And we learned a lot. So we appreciate your time. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. Thanks so much for joining me on Bucket List Careers. I'm Crystal Laurie. Be sure to follow us on social media if you're not already at Bucket List Careers and DM me any guest ideas if you have them. Back next week with a brand new guest and fresh episode. Until then, be well. An ironic media production. Visit us at ironickmedia.com. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. Believe. 
You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.